You're listening to 92.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Hi, I'm El Nash, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show, yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have El Nash. She's the author of Deliver Me, a novel. El, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. I I try to. I I got. I got. I got burning questions for you, and that scares me because I usually don't have burning questions. The ointment usually mm-hmm. takes care of that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I like to be scary, so. No, I, I, it's not burning questions, but the 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 uh, the Pentecostal church uh, part of uh, your novel. Do you have experience with the Pentecostal church, like? being in it in any way or just are you or have you been just around the people um just around the i mean it's hard to say so i like i have i had a very very weird childhood like i grew up in the south and then when my dad retired from the military we moved to colorado springs and there's like six military bases or something and like 600 churches um that's where like um new life church and then focus on the family are you know there's a lot of the mega church stuff that's there if uh, anyone remembers ted haggard the pastor from like jesus camp he was the pastor at this mega church north of town um and i did go to like sunday school and church a lot but i never had experience growing up with very specific aspects of the pentecostal church with like snake handling or speaking in tongues or anything like that. Like that really wasn't the flavor of Christianity I particularly grew up with. Um, it wasn't until I moved to Arkansas that I met a lot of apostolic and Pentecostal Christians. And I'm yeah, endlessly interested in Christianity because of how different like sects disagree with each other and like then, you know, fight about it and consider the other person to be like satanic even though they yeah. believe in the same God. So yeah. um, that's kind of like where I started. Yeah. That's where I started with um, the Pentecostal church specifically. And then I did go to um, a UPC church, like very, very, very small in, in rural Arkansas to mm-hmm. uh, just like, uh, you know, go and see what it was like and do research and just yeah. experience it. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. interesting. It's yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. so um yeah so uh, you you grew up around uh you grew up a lot around the uh different Christians I really like how you say they all believe in the same thing but they all think they got the thing it's our thing man we got mm-hmm. the Jesus you don't got the Jesus drives me crazy yeah nothing is funnier I know nothing's funnier to me than the idea of like a Mormon thinking that a Catholic is like a Satanist, you know, or, or like I was, I was, I was Muslim for four years in my twenties and, you know, for them, the difference is that they don't believe in a triune God. Like they're like, Allah is like one God. That's why this God is like the right God. And so, you know, from some of the Muslims I would meet, you know, when they meet Christians, they're like, well, we think you're patients because you have all of these, you have three gods, like it's confusing to them. And so it's the, it's interesting how, how it translates differently to like different people and how 
in some ways it creates confusion and conflict and I don't know it's a very fascinating thing about human nature because all it's all divinity like in the end like you know it's I don't know <laughs> right yes because because uh, yeah. yeah so yeah we gotta talk about the witchy stuff later I'm totally into the esoteric I love it okay. um uh how do you become a Muslim in your 20s like what happens where you're just like you know what I'm going Allah is that is that a is that the correct way to say it? Um yeah, it's Allah and then they have like the Oh it's okay. you know what they say after it, you know, the high the high and most holy or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um it's been a long time since um since I left the religion, but Yeah, so you I, went in and left. Okay, That's like so, two major things. That's huge. Right? Yeah, 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 and like, and I still have a lot of reverence for the religion. I just realized in a way that I am not a monotheist, and so I was like, I'm, you know, I can't be in the religion if I don't feel like I am a monotheist. Like I was kind of trending more like away from that aspect. Um, but I, I guess it was like coming up on the tenth anniversary of nine eleven or something about like. I swear it's like Obama had like they it was like they found Osama bin Laden or something like that, you know, and um, like was Obama president then? He was right. I'm getting. I'm, yeah, I, I, exactly I, all I, all I think of is financial crash, Obama, all the corporations get bailed out. <laughs> so that was 2008. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I had, yeah. so, I he had was so much hope. I had so much hope, <laughs> man. And then all of a sudden it's like, what are you doing? Okay, yeah, I know. Yeah, so so they had found they they claimed that I that they killed him, and then they claim when people were like released the pics, they were like, well, we released his body to see in accordance with like Muslim burial to like respect him or something. It was religious which wishes, but I was like in my mind, I was like that doesn't sound right, like releasing a body into the sea, and I don't remember where I heard this or even if it still tracks, but um, that's when I started researching islam and i was like is that a thing like do they do that and then um i learned about like the halal practices of like butchering and i was kind of interested in that from like a reduced harm perspective because i this relates to the book i've always hated like industrial agriculture i've always been very much against like monsanto and like big ag and i was like well this seems interesting that um they the theory is that like the way that they're trying to kill the animals to like reduce as much harm to the animal as possible and then also bless it or something like that. That's what I learned like when I was researching this, like in my early 20s. And so then I was like, this is actually kind of interesting to me, you know, the more that I read about it. So um, it just was like, OK, I'm just going to I'm going to go. I'm going to go to a mosque and I'm going to. um talk to someone there and then I went and I said my shahada and then I was Muslim for four years. Wow. Um, and I even, <clears throat> I moved from, um, I had converted into a Sunni mosque um, and I found Sunni, Sunni Islam to be a little bit like restrictive as they kept like researching. I was still looking for like this. I mean, it is deeply spiritual, but I was, you know, as I continued to research, I felt Shia Islam was a little more spiritually forgiving in some ways. And so then, um, that's when I moved from like a Sunni mosque to a Shia mosque. And I think then I was, that, so I was, that was probably like the first year and a half or something. And then I was Shia for the remaining, for the remainder. Um, 
which is wonderful. Like I still have a lot of reverence for the religion. It's beautiful. Um, I love the religious practices. I love centering my life around ritual and I still Mm. like to center my life around ritual. It just was that as I was like learning and growing and getting deeper into it. Um, yeah, some things were hard for me to like with any organized religion, there's a lot of conservative stuff that is hard to square with like my own beliefs. Um, and then even at the mosque I was going to, um, there was like, there was a very young gay Muslim who was my friend. Um, and like, we would sometimes get coffee, like outside of, you know, like mosque or whatever. And I remember one time we both walked in for, um, in Shia Islam, there's like a Thursday evening thing that they do. I can't remember the name of it now because it's been like 10 years. Um, but usually you have prayers on Friday, which is Jummah, and then you, the, in Shia, you have like a Thursday thing. And then we said hi to each other. And once that happened, because we were different genders, like all these rumors spread throughout the mosque that we were dating, which I thought was like really mm-hmm. hilarious because like he, that we were friends just because he was a gay Muslim and trying to talk, to, we were talking to each other about the progressivism and religion and like all, you know, these philosophical things. Um, but then I kind of got a little ostracized. So then I stopped going. And then when I stopped going, then I started to research more and was like, maybe it's not like for me. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, like kind of like, yeah, like moved out of it and left. Um, it's sad but- because you're right. There's so much beauty to it. And it's just like, I haven't been to a, uh, I haven't been to a country that's, you know, had, uh, that's been, uh, more Muslim. And I, I, I would do want to hit, uh, Morocco one of these days. And I just, I kind of can't wait to hear, I, I want to hear the calls to prayer that they have and the, I, you know, just, I, 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 I'm excited to one day like be in that environment because there's something so there is something gra- grounding almost to the to the ritual, whether it's Christian or whether it's um, Muslim. There there's a beauty to it because I think, well, I don't know. I'm I'm grappling with all this. My you know I grapple with this myself too. But it's like a beauty of um, it's a beauty of people trying, coming together and like trying. And let's 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 just try this because because we all kind of want to be better. And we want to emulate ourselves to this divine and we want to have like the divine in us. And so we're, we all, we're all really trying now let's try on these certain occasions doing these certain things. And how cool is that? There's nothing wrong with that. I love that so much. And then they do weird stuff like let's shun the female. <laughs> it's just yeah. right. And you're going, wait, what? Yeah. Uh, Wait, where's 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 the divine in that? Can I I have a question? Where's where's the divine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Like the the dogma of it it gets really the rigidity of those things make it really hard. And um like on a philosophical level, right? It's like I can see why people do cling so hard to these kinds of structures. Like for for some people, the stakes are so high they do feel literally like society would fall apart, right? Like if mm-hmm. they didn't um, like follow these. That doesn't mean it's true, but like, um, but it's like I understand why people get there's so much there's so much fear that they're motivated by, um, which is but to me that's like sad, yeah, because the beautiful parts then become obscured. Like hearing like when you when you go into a mosque on Friday and you hear the adhan, it's so 
like when someone can do it really well, it is really moving. It's the same as listening to like really good, like orthodox um, chanting, right? Mm -hmm. Or even like when I was at the UPC church, hearing the organ playing and like, you know, the pastor like being really intense and then people just start praying with their, like when they're speaking in tongues, like they just go for it. There's like an intensity to the experience that can really only be experienced because you're in like religious community with people yeah. like there's an intensity and i don't know what it means right like i don't know um like specifically what it means but it, to me it has to say humans in general must be primed for something in this way with ritual and with an in community and also in terms of like how we're trying to reach the divine somehow you know like yeah <laughs> there's something there i don't know i don't know what it is but <laughs> It, you it's, know what I mean? Oh, I totally know what you mean. I was, um, I just started watching Ricky Gervais's uh, Netflix special, and he's just such a like, he's such a staunch atheist that it kind of, you know, I, I, I adore him, and at the same time, it's just like, you know, his his argument is, you know, he's like, uh, well, yeah, his argument is like, uh, well, you have no proof to to people who have faith, mm -hmm. and uh, and I'm just like, yeah, but you have no proof that there's not. So that's not the answer, man. You know, um, it, not that I, you know, I I grew up in a in a in a weird religion. That's why I had all these questions about uh, Pentecostal stuff. Oh. So, so that that's what intrigues Can me I about it. Yeah, it's Jehovah's Witnesses. So oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, so a lot of like rules and well, less rules rituals. I don't always necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses like strip all the cool stuff out of everything because that's pagan and ungodlike. And then they give you really boring stuff to do. And then that's the ritual. So it just zaps like any uh any, anything. Yeah. It's uh I I I, I the, don't get me started because I can go forever on that. <laughs> but uh <clears throat> but yeah, it just it's it's hard when it ruins things. It's it's hard when it ruins the a natural thing, a natural act like wanting to reach out to a divine, a natural act like sex and making it like, you know, just putting so much pressure on it where it's just like, oh, wait, you know, no premarital sex. And it's just like, oh, well, then that means marriage must be great. And then before you know it, you're in a dead marriage. <laughs> it's just like, oh, wait, there's other things to marriage. Why do they put so much emphasis on sex and not sex pre that I do? Why can't we have a normal relationship? Anyway, so it's... uh. I yeah. just don't, I don't get why people, well, I do get why people feel the need to screw it up because they're power hungry and there is a lot of evil in people that they just don't take a look at in themselves, I guess. I, it's, it's, it's frustrating that, uh, that, yeah, like the different sex and the different, you know, it's just like, that's kind of like why I'm, uh, that's why I've been very interested in like astrology and tarot and I've been diving into that. And then you start to get into it and all there's like clicks in there too. Well, if you'd believe it, this, Oh wait, no, you're not on this team. You're on that team. And, and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'm going to be over here as the minimal guy in the corner, just kind of continuing to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Uh, I'm like, I want to be like, have you heard about chaos magic? <laughs> but even that, Chaos Magic in particular, people who follow it get even weirder and sometimes even, like, worse, I feel, um, than, like, your average, like, run-of-the-mill American Christians do. 
yeah but, it's, it's, but like yeah they're all interesting concepts to practice on your own <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's it's like um yeah i wonder why as humans i mean i'm reading this i'm reading this book called the status game by will store i don't know if you've ever read his book he's got a great book out called the science of storytelling and the status game, <clears throat> I, I was like, the status game, like immediately caught me because I, I teach screenwriting. So I'm just like, I'm I'm teaching status like every single week. I'm like, you got to put more high status, low status. I'm asking them the number to put a number of what status each person is in each scene so we could see the dynamic shift. And, mm. and then I'm reading this book and I'm like, I knew we were doing it in real life, but I didn't know we were doing it so much like constantly the status game. So, so that may have a little bit of exclamation explanation. English is my first language (laughs) explanation as to, um, as to why weirdness happens when we try to come together, even if we all agree on something, then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. it's like a hierarchy needs to occur on what what we agree on it, but not that way. You yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I just this week watched like a three hour podcast um, between it was on the Andrew Huberman podcast and he was talking like to him. this guy. Yeah, he'd written this. This guy wrote this book called The Art of Seduction. So if anyone wants to like Google that, but that's not what he was being interviewed for. He was being interviewed because he'd like had a stroke, had this near-death experience. And so he's like this expert psychologist. And so he was talking about that in a, well, some of the art of seduction stuff in relation to like how we are like in relationships and like what that power means and what vulnerability means and how to frame it. And like, I don't know, a lot of very interesting aspects in terms of like how we come together as people. One thing that was nice though, was that, um, I think Huberman posed him this question that was like, you know, this idea, this idea of power being, what was he saying? Like, sometimes people theorize that everything comes down to like sex or whatever, but he was like, what about the type of power that's outside of that? That there's this like, is there like an innate human, not human, but an innate like animal just drive for that domination? And what was interesting was this guy basically said, um, he kind of like went the other way where he was like, actually like, like people really crave connection and there's like an animal like animal and plant and insect like tendency to crave connection that has that has nothing to do with um like reproduction or any of that at all just simply connecting just the connection piece and he said there's something really sublime about that in terms of humans just wanting to exist in love without without the games or the power dynamics or anything like that and that was like i was like oh that that actually is really special. Like that does exist. You know what I mean? Like that, like a pure relation with someone outside of those things. And that those are things, those are ideals that can be like striven for, but they exist in the animal kingdom too, in some ways, the examples he gave were really interesting. So I got to find that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it should be easy enough to find. Um, and the uh, and I, as you said that I'm going through all my past relationships and I'm like, did I ever achieve that in any of those? Because uh, when you're in it, you're like, oh yeah, we're totally achieving this. And then like, and then and then all of a sudden, when you get out of it, like the story changes. 
but maybe does the story change once you're out of it and you're trying to rationalize it so your memory is trying to reframe to make you the good person and the other person oh well, they were the wrong one oh our brains are so mm-hmm. our brains trick us so much i think yeah yeah really trying to like protect protect it i think our brains really really want a stable sense of self and so it will do all those things to and to feel safe and so it will definitely do all those things i think to protect itself from changing or questioning that stable sense of self you know what i mean yeah 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 does that make sense yeah oh totally makes sense because the brain kind of just wants to go no i got this taken care of do the other thing yeah yeah which i I which kind of comes into like creativity too. And like even being a writer, because I think the, doing that kind of goes against what we're programmed almost brain wise, especially in our like society quote, where we're just, um, oh, are you looking up the guy? No, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. I, had a phone call through. I had a random phone call come through. So I was like, oh God, don't call right now. <laughs> okay no i was like that's really cool it's like almost you're almost like your own assistant you're like hold on while, while we're working on that i'm gonna get the guy's name <laughs> isn't it isn't it strange though that we that we sense um even as we're talking right now we sense uh that's why i have to do video instead because some people are like i'm video shy and i'm like well then you're not on the show <laughs> it's just like that's it because we send we get to sense the um the uh the vulnerability of even when we're distracted like i just saw you distracted so i was like yeah oh and then it, yeah. it, it it's beautiful i'm not i'm not saying it in any way but it, then that throws me off and then i go oh wait a second and you're like oh you caught me you caught me being distracted and it's um yeah and it's just uh it's just human it's human stuff and it's, and that's and that's the beauty of conversation yeah. too because i mean i like in person so much better because we get all the senses and you know, I was, uh, where you're like just sitting there and you're taught looking at someone, then all of a sudden you kind of look the other way and then you see the person kind of go like this going, one, what's more interesting than me? Two, I'm over here. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And there's so much too with like nonverbal communication that comes through that makes that really, like really special. I think that's what makes like the social media experience. I hate to be such a millennial, but I'm like, well, it's social media. But I think that's what makes it so hard is that oh, it's so terrible. much of it, you lose so much of that nonverbal communication. But but our brains are still trying to replicate it as this full of like as life experience because there's so much dopamine being dubbed. And we create, we love to create narratives. So we just, we create all these narratives and project all the things that we love to on social media and the social media experience as though it's real like everyday real. And then I think it just creates this feedback loop where it's not satisfying. And then we're like, why isn't this satisfying? It's supposed to be real life. That's what the brain is telling you. And then you become even more disaffected and disconnected because you're actually not getting that full range of feedback. I think, you know, that you really desire when being in connection with someone. Yeah. 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 Even walking through a cafe or even just walking to a cafe, everyone's got their eyes on a phone. And it's and I just mm-hmm. I just want to go through and slap everyone with a fish. Go come back to mm-hmm. humanity, people. We're all here. We can all be irritated with each mm-hmm. other, but it's such an e it's a, such an easy out to not be vulnerable. 
because it's kind of vulnerable when you're yeah. at a cafe and you and it's and you just go, oh, well, hey, yeah, we're both here. Well, you know, I could have been at home, but I was kind of lonely, so I decided to come here and look at people. But they go and look at their phones, and I and the looking at people is the important part, and the coffee. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. I've I've on and off in the last like five seven years I've definitely gone back and forth with like um when I was in the states I had got a dumb phone and I would just put my smartphone away and I would just oh. only use the dumb phone to like text my friends or whatever yeah and it was so great like I really did get a lot from that and then when COVID hit then I started realizing that I was writing less because I was just messaging people so much more. Does that make sense? Like mm -hmm. all of my words and thoughts and ideas and observations about life seem to be like going out online somehow, whether I'm like tweeting about it or like just talking to people like in DMs or um, like talking, and even just, just the messaging aspect like of typing out stuff to like my friends and stuff. I felt I was like losing my ability to stuff on the page in some way yeah and so yeah recently i've been trying to like limit my social media stuff again so i can just like get back to being you yeah like being used to observing and then just like not having to tell someone about it right away like letting things like stew for a bit and like seeing kind of like what happens when my brain like sits in boredom like i've been playing with the idea of um like experimenting with myself in some ways to see like how bored I can like make myself and just to see what happens to my creativity. Yeah. If that makes sense. Can you yeah. make it, can you make yourself so. bored? Is there a, is, can you get to that point? I mean, yeah, there's plenty of things you can do. Like it's just like self-imposed restrictions, right? Like besides like putting your phone away, like um, forcing yourself to like meditate for like a lot, like a really long period uh -huh. of time until your brain, like you know like there's some points when I've been meditating um like I go to this little temple once a week usually and there's some points and I, because I'm with a group of people there's the social pressure to like stay like on your seat you know what I mean and it's usually for an hour and there were points where I'd be like god like my brain is like so fucking bored you know like I'm not I'm obviously not like you know sitting with it you know but I'm also like it's fun though to in retrospect it's fun to be like wow I was so uncomfortable and then I just felt that uncomfortableness arise and then I just like kind of observed what was happening there and then like things just like start to happen like in your brain when you do that and so I have like some other yeah ideas that I want to try like um I'm full disclosure. I, I'm stealing them from Marina Abramovich because she does these workshops mm -hmm. called like cleaning the house. And like one of them, it, it appears to be like you're like separating a bag of like rice from like lentils and probably like counting them and like putting them into like piles like oh maybe like a thousand pieces of rice in one pile or something like that. Um, and so when I have the time, I'm thinking like, oh, maybe I should just try it and like see just see what your see what my brain does like when it's like bored and like discipline myself into trying this thing and like kind of seeing what pops out of there you know like to, li to literally separate literally separate rice and lentils yeah yeah like if you got a bag of them you just like <laughs> i haven't tried who, who, <laughs> who is, who is this lady i need to find her because she sounds very interesting oh 
she's she's uh, Marina Abramovich is probably like the most well known performance artist. She did the artist present at the MoMA, and then you may know, like you may have heard of it or not. I think her other most famous performance was when she like stood herself in front of this table of tools, and some things were like you know, uh, like delicate things like flowers, feather dusters, things like that. But then there were like knives and guns and stuff. And she, and like people were allowed to do whatever they wanted to her for like eight hours. Mm. Um, so that was like her most famous one. Um, what, really did, did anyone, <clears throat> yeah, that's intense. Cause talk about vulnerability. That's bringing vulnerability. Like that's, that's straight up 100. That's like a hundred percent vulnerability. <laughs> yeah yeah and i guess like um people would cut her and then one guy like held a gun to her neck and it's said that um the uh, like the performance was so stressful that it turned like a part of her hair white and then i guess at the end of the eight hours when she finally was allowed to move the people who were like watching and kind of like torturing her basically like fled right because suddenly they were like oh god like now we don't have this free reign anymore um which is well, like that's you know, interesting yeah yeah but to be able to <clears throat> write like will yourself um into into that even just as a performance you know that i mean it takes a lot of like not just, it's not just like courage like there's a discipline aspect like, can you can you stand in the same place for eight hours right you know like that takes practice and will and um there must there just must be so much like going on in the mind that to me that's really interesting yeah. like when we talk about so sorry now you got me going so yeah. like, when, <laughs> when we talk about like ricky gervais character or whatever being or like him in, himself being like like a staunch atheist and being like there is no proof of god well it's like all i have to do is right like sit here and just like force through through discipline which is ritual like you know, force myself to like sit and see what what comes up, and then what does come up is sometimes so divine and ineffable. You know that that's the proof. The proof is like right here. Like yeah, you know that's proof is like that's where the religious experience lies. And to me, that's proof enough because the brain like is the only tool that we have to experience any part of the world. So. Anything, even if we're saying like, oh, this is like material or not, you know what I mean? So if the brain is experienced and pulling that from somewhere, I don't know. Mm -hmm. To me, that seems like proof. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. There's yeah. more. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, I think, uh, I think we're, I think everyone's trying to explain it. And, and someone even, someone even reached out to me <laughs> this week because, um, I posted on Instagram. I, I write a journal every day. I got, I have my like, I have my own little rituals. I, I have a dream journal. So I write my dreams and then I have oh, my okay. journal. So I just kind of write before I go into my own writing projects. So I got, I got like two things to do before I work on what I'm working on. And, um, mm -hmm. and on, I just posted an Instagram and, you know, I was just like, Oh yeah, writing. And, um, or I didn't even put writing. I was like, uh, my, my complaints to God was essentially, mm -hmm. it's essentially what I, call my own journal my diary in my hope chest <clears throat> but it's complaints to god which just kind of um you know kind of cracks me up because isn't that most prayers anyway <laughs> like it's just like okay i'm i'm back at the complaint complaint department god 
But um, I said it facetiously, and then I she sent me this like link, and I'm like, well, what is this? And then um, and I know of her because I think she got in touch with my novel or was, was something. That's how she got in touch with me. And then um, and I thought she got hacked. So so I was just mm. like, hey, person, I'm not gonna say her name. Did you find God, and do you know where he lives? And then uh, because I thought it was a hacker, and then all of a sudden. Uh, she started preaching the Church of Christ to me and how everything else mm. is wrong. The Catholics, and this is the truth. She kept saying the truth. This is the truth. The Catholics have it wrong. Jehovah's Witnesses have it wrong. And I'm like, oh, all I had to hear were the all I had to hear was truth to know it was a sham. Because mm -hmm. it's just like there's no de definite. How can anything be definite? But I guess we want definite so bad because we're craving an answer so mm -hmm. it, i guess we mm -hmm. can easily be sucked in i veered there i don't even know where we started on that but um <laughs> yeah it's just it's so intriguing that uh yeah and and it's just like and then like i with ricky gervais saying his whole i'm a character on stage i'm like you know stop that i, I don't agree with that at all because i think um yeah, you are playing a you're playing a larger version of yourself. I mean, Chris Rock is a character yeah. on stage. Chris Rock is a very timid, shy person. And when he gets on stage, he's a manic preacher, so he's doing his show, but it's coming from his heart too. So it's it, right. I, that's a kind of I I hate that because I think that's happened this week, right? Where Ricky Gervais is like, I'm a character, so that's why I say blah blah blah. But I would never say that in real life, and I'm like. I love you, Ricky Gervais, but that's so much cop out. So much cop out. Damn it. I haven't, I haven't. Are you talking about the Afterlife show? I haven't seen that yet. So it's hard to say. I I like. Oh, I'm talking about his new special that people have. Oh, you I know, even, he's okay, been okay. he's been offending people left and right who just uh, want to be offended by everything. You know how that goes. So uh, yeah, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, we're creating our own church lady society. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh my god! I mean, I'll, I'll go back to the Jehovah's I mean, Witnesses. It's, it's easier to because I know the rules of the game there. Because then they can shun me. <laughs> yeah, well, I do ultimately think that's what it is. Is there's a there's a it's a type of puritanism, and yeah. like, right, like a large portion of like proportion of, um, me after I left Islam, and then I just was still kind of. I guess like looking for the right thing or like solidifying more of like my belief in whatever exists. Um, my main goal was like, how do I expunge Christianity like out of my thinking, like specifically with like American Christianity as deeply as I can. Right. Cause there's so much Puritanism that exists even in the secular world, yeah. you know, like it's <clears throat> deeply embedded in American culture um, in a way that even like, especially as like an atheist, like, they still operate on Christian behaviors and ideals and they don't even realize yeah. that they're, that they're doing It's the same yeah. amount of faith, man. <laughs> yeah. You're doing atheism yeah. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not, not believing enough, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, you live you where do you 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 live in Scotland now? I live in Glasgow. Glasgow? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, how do you like yeah. that? I, everyone, everyone keeps telling me because I'm uh, doing a couple Europe trips next year, and they're like, "Dude, you got to go to Scotland, man! It's like the greatest." It is, yeah, it is really is good, it? especially if you. 
Glasgow's cooler because it's more working class. And so it's a little bit like, I don't want to say it's like rowdy. I feel like that's unfair. It's like, yeah, it's rowdy, but it's like, um, I don't know, like growing up working class. Every Everyone's Yeah. just more down to earth here. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Whereas like Edinburgh is like beautiful. It's definitely worth visiting, but it's also like super touristy and um, very, like, it's just a little more posh, I would say. Like the nightlife probably isn't as happening, um, but Glasgow is really fun. And there is so much art in this city, like so much. It's crazy. And I, I feel as an American coming here, I feel like there is a lot of um, work that the government does to preserve it. But as a Scottish person, I think a lot of Scottish people um, who are concerned with the arts are, say, are actually like funding for the arts is an extreme danger and it must be protected at all costs, Mm which yes, it should be. -hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's really like, it's really wonderful just to see like how much literature and art is in the city. Like it's really great. Hey, who are who are some of your favorite writers, uh Scottish writers? I know Uh, I, I know that's I know that's a hard question. I I I hate yeah, when people ask me the same, they're like, Who are some of your favorite writers? And I'm like, ow. And then I kind of go, wait, what are the last couple books I've read that I liked? <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Kelso is a Scottish sci-fi sci slash horror writer who is really great. Um, I'm trying to think of like, like who else? Like all my friends. Christy Logan is a really good Oh, um, is there? fiction. Do you do you have a solid? I'm sorry for interrupting. I got excited about when you said all my friends. Do you have a solid? Is there a solid writing community there? Oh yeah, it's very like there really is a like, really. good writing community here and I and I feel like it's healthy like it's encouraging um I have not personally experienced a lot of cattiness which is something that I have experienced in like other like writing circles um there Wait, it worked. Was cattiness there's in um was cattiness like in New York or specific or a city specific or was it just American specific? um it's just American specific or at least maybe like online culture is kind of like you know Yeah. like online Oh yeah, yeah. um Yeah. But I it's yeah, when you got a book out, do you do you hide from being online or do you like do you go, wait, what are they talking what are they saying about me? Cause it's like we only get a book out what every few years for me it takes like 10 but uh it's just like and then you're all wait a second who who cares about me i want to see an
you know, when I when I I just read Ulysses for the first time last year, and that and all of a sudden now I'm like a James Joyce super freak. I can't wait to go to Dublin and like go to all the little spots that. Um, yeah. You know, it's I can't wait to do that geek tour, and then uh, and then Scotland. You know, it's just it's rich unto itself, and it's just and when you the way you talk about it, it's I, I feel like I've been looking for that been dying for i mean i live in la so everything's like you know i have there's so many great writers in la that are like down to earth. oh yeah but the whole but the entire atmosphere is screenplays and screenwriting and what about this idea what about this idea and i'm like they all suck stop stop it's hurting it's hurting i'm hurting and it's it just it i i i don't know i feel uh, it's, I've felt this for a while because the current book I'm working on is like a love letter to East Hollywood because I live kind of right near Los Feliz. And and for mm-hmm. some odd reason, I have this burning desire to get this book finished because it's even though it's a mystery, but I have to give this letter to East Hollywood out fast because for some odd reason, I don't feel like I'm in East Hollywood anymore, even though I'm still mm-hmm. here. And I don't know what it is, but I'm trying to stay with that intuition. You know, it's just like I got to. Yeah, that's and, interesting. Yeah. And then I'm like, why is this burning desire there? And then I'm like, I think I'm open to go anywhere right now. And then I was mm-hmm. just like, and it could be Burbank or it could be Berlin. <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't know. Anyway. I think it's, I always think it's worth trying to like get outside of where you are as a writer. So for me, I wanted to move here for a couple of reasons. One was that my first. Thank you for remembering books- the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My first two books got picked up by a Scottish publisher and when they brought me over in 2019 on tour it was so like magical of an experience that I kind of was like so my mom is English and so and I was also born in the UK but I'd never been I've never been back until that book tour in 2019 and so when I was here I was like I love this you know I was in Glasgow for like all of three hours and I yet I was like I think I need to like live here (laughs) you know and so I kept telling my publishers oh I'm gonna move I'm gonna move I'm gonna figure out how to do it and I was I, I was too scared. I didn't know what it was going to be like. I didn't know what it took. Like, it seemed like it would be too hard. Like, I already have the British passport. So there's really, I don't have to worry about, like, the immigration aspect of it. So there was really nothing holding me back except for fear. And then once, um, once COVID hit, I think I hit this point after, like, the second year where I was like, life is, like, way too fucking short. Like, I really just need to do what I want. And, like, my daughter was coming up on, um, she was like getting close to school age. And I, you know, obviously like living in Colorado, there's like, it's like where the mass shooting essentially like originated. Like I was like, I can't, you know, the school shooting originated. I was like, I can't oh, right. think about sending her to kindergarten and her having to do like a drill, like for that, you Isn't know, that like crazy. Was, like, Isn't it? It's so yeah. awful. Yeah. It's so it was so hard for me to think about that I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna buy a plane ticket and get an Airbnb and just like figure out how to make it work. I even got a healthcare job that I could work for five months before I moved. So that way I knew once I got over there I could get a job really quick. Cause everyone needs healthcare workers. Um, because I was like, I just need to figure out how to make it work. And um, and that is that is what I did. And my quality of life here as a person who doesn't make much money it is um like far far and above i think what it would be like in the states like there's just so much i don't have to worry about um which is like 
it's crazy. Like I did get an office job as well. And like working with my like Scottish counterparts in terms of like what they're afraid of and like the, the rights they have as like workers is like crazy. Like my boss used to laugh at me because I literally was every day. I was like, I feel like every day I feel like I could get fired and like lose mm-hmm. everything, you know? And then that's not what they do. Um, here you know like once you once you get in and you're past it like your first six months it's like a probationary period they they have to go through this whole process before they like fire you and like they owe you like a certain amount of like weeks notice or something like that like because I lived in an at-will state I don't know if it's like that all over the states but it's like they can fire you for any time at any reason oh yeah Um, I mean that's how I've grown up I mean in California I don't know if it's changed now but and I try right. not to, I try not to get jobs like my whole life is just, you know, so living the low income writer gig has kind of been my jam yeah. for 20 years. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, as a worker, you get a minimum like five weeks like vacation, no matter who you are. Um, and then, right, if you're just freelancing, which is um, I mean, that's always difficult. But the biggest thing that's been wonderful about that for me is that I don't have to worry about like health insurance or, you know what I mean? Like if something catastrophic, Isn't catastrophic it happens, it's yeah. major debt. Yeah. And so but you, you does... have the passport though, without the passport, you don't get that. Right. You just can't pop up and move there and go, Hey guys, what's up? <laughs> yeah. Like if you do end up coming, like, do you get like a visa you have to like you do have to pay like a fee to like the nhs for example on top of your visa but it's still only like so they just recently the tory government was like we're increasing the the nhs fees for people who come over and they're increasing it to like 1100 pounds per year but that's 1100 pounds per year for unlimited healthcare like you would just access the nhs system that is still that is still so much cheaper oh, than yeah. like what you get like for you know living in the united states when i think i was paying like 600 dollars a month just for me at one point yeah. or something like that when i worked for a really small company yeah so it's still like it's still like way cheaper and no, even pay- like yeah. Anyway, I could go on. <laughs> no, I, I could too. I was paying 700 a month for healthcare and I had like huge copays and one, and it, and I was putting yeah, them on my credit card, like 15 years ago or whatever. And I had this album still hurts my heart to this day. Roland S Howard, uh teenage snuff film. There was only like 500 of the original ones uh, printed pressed. And then now they've gone through repressings. But in order to pay health insurance one month, I had to sell that record because it was going for like 500 bucks and it sold immediately. And I I was just like, okay. And then it's just like, I had to get, I sold that lovely record and then it just went to health insurance. That was absolutely nothing and doing nothing for me just to stay on health insurance. Yeah. I remember in my twenties, I had a medication that was like 700 bucks per month or something like that. And I remember heroin's cheaper. Yeah, I know. And I like I had this really beautiful road bike that I ended up selling. Yeah, I still think about that bike sometimes. <laughs> Stuff like oh, that. Yeah. We're just like, this is what we're doing for groceries now. I I yeah. sold my Vespa to get uh, my deposit on my first apartment. I was just I felt I was just like oh. and I was like, and there goes my Vespa. Oh man, that's yeah. it. That used to be my personality. It's going away. <laughs> that's funny. 
Yeah, man, you make you make uh, Scotland sound really cool. I'm going well. I'm going in, in spring. I'm going to Paris, and then my friends are in Coimbra, Portugal. They've just moved there, so I'm going to go hang out with them for a little bit. I feel like I'm kind of just doing um, because I got nowhere to be. I mean, I teach, but I teach online, so mm-hmm. I'm just like, I I finally like sat down and had a serious talk with myself and went, Tony, why aren't you? You brought up the good thing. The you brought up a good thing uh, a few minutes ago. Fear. The fear of it. Mm-hmm. Just like, just get there. Yeah. What happens well, after you I get there? You, yeah. You just do, you figure it out. But I think too, like, I think now that I have left and like been out of the country long enough, I just never realized how much fear was like ruling my life. Like there is like a low key psychic anxiety that just exists in the United States, in our culture, it's what we experience and we're used to experiencing it every day that does not, at least where I, where I am, I'm like, it just does not exist here. And I think now I've gotten, like now I've like acclimated where I am like, oh, like, I mean, I still worry about my survival and stuff like that. Like I get financial anxiety or like whatever, like, especially when you have a kid, like you're always going to be thinking about that. But like some of the stuff really has gone away and I'm just like, damn, like I made so many decisions or I put off so many things because I was afraid. And I think that's very normal, like living and growing up in the United States, especially if you were like maybe young enough that you remember 9-11 or you're or after 9-11 where you don't know anything different anymore. Um, Just how the media is and how... um like all all of it like not just news but like everything we consume and watch and all yeah. that stuff um yeah and the the super availability of like terror all the time like everything bad happening all the time the way that we consume information all of it, it just seems like um like why wouldn't you be afraid <laughs> of every of everything that you don't know right like why wouldn't no. you it just seems natural it's like well it's like they're you they're using i mean fear Fear can can get people to buy stuff. You know, it's just mm-hmm. that's and it and it's it's so wrong on so many levels. Um, yeah, yeah. And I I notice it too, and it's that's why I'm just like I really need a different experience. Even if I'm out of the country only two months a year or whatever. If I just but if I find a little spot where I'm just like you know I can't get a, a you know I don't even know if I I don't even know if I want to leave Los Angeles. I love Los Angeles. I hate Los Angeles too, but I love myself and I hate myself. So it's all kind of goes together. But um, mm. if I, you know, if I got, if I can dump myself somewhere for a couple months and I still do what I do, you know, people go, people talk about vacations. I'm like, oh yeah, I can't wait to go on vacation. And they're talking cruises and I'm talking, just going to a place where I can sit in a cafe and read and write for the day. And then go uh yeah. hang out later and I'm like oh yeah it's kind of exactly what I do in Los Angeles but just in another city so I guess I'm living my vacation right that's, that's the beauty yeah. of being yeah, a writer yeah that is true that is good like if you can make money doing it that way I think that's good yeah like well, I don't well I make more I make my money more on the teaching side of things it's I, I'm, right I'm, right right yeah. Well, it's the it's the what what you if what you do like gives you the kind of freedom that you need to do the creative thing. Yeah. And that's like it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. Because any job is you know you know like you do have to make money somehow. But um, like any job sucks. It's always that obstacle. But 
if it gives you the flexibility you need to have like the right mindset that's what's important right like yeah I definitely can't like I can if I have to work a nine to five like that's something I am completely capable of it's just that like my it's my it's not prime for like my mental state and like how I work you know and so it's like I work easiest where it be the flexibility of being able to work from home all the time while I teach or mentor or edit or whatever it is I do for money um that side of it is like I can do that at any time I especially can do it in the evenings after my daughter's in bed especially being in the UK because usually when I'm working with people, they're all in the United States too. So they're all just waking up, you know? Um, and then like during the daytime is when I can do the creative stuff. So I can have yeah. that daytime while she's at school, still be a mom and then do all my work at night, which sounds crazy sometimes, but like, it, I don't know. It works for now. And it's soul feeding too, because you're doing, I mean, it's, I feel, it, I feel like I got to protect my writer energy more than anything. And then sometimes yeah. I got to protect myself from like some students that I have where I'm just like, oh man, I wish this was my own workshop so I can just give them a refund and tell them to please go away and never talk to me again, even though they've been there for nine weeks. But you can't do that at certain institutions. You got to sit there and kind of, you know, also be flipping burgers at Burger King essentially for some of these students. And then the, then there's some rock stars. It all comes together because there's beauty in, in the great ones. And then there's, oh, you... That's what you're trying to do. And then, it, but, but it's, but my main thing is to protect that writer energy. It's just like, don't let it get into it, it, I do feel it seep into my writing energy, but it's just like, okay, now, yeah. now, now separate it out a little bit. Yeah. But I think that's okay sometimes in the sense that like you kind of like need a little strife to like sharpen things like that's I think that's how I feel having done having written always like I wrote while having like a nine-to-five and then I wrote while being a stay-at-home mom for a little bit and then I wrote and had a nine-to-five and was a mom like all at once you know what I mean and like all of that um it's one is that it's always hard no matter what you're doing but the other part is that I think that sometimes having that strife between what you want to be doing and like working on the writer stuff and then like not being able to can I don't know it is like steel sharpening steel. Like that friction is good for some things for some reason, you know? Um, I guess what I'm saying is like, it's fine to have that conflict. No, <laughs> right? you, you know, you're right. Stuff. And it's, and yeah. there's, there's something about being about hungry. It. Like if, if yeah. you're not, if you're not yeah. hungry, it's harder to be a writer And they, uh, I was, I don't know where I read this, but it said if someone's like really wealthy and well off and they say they want to write a book, they tend not to get around to it. Cause they, cause it's mm. just, but, but if you're hungry for it and you're doing it anyway, and you're in that strife mode, that I, the, yeah. I, I like the iron sharpens iron. You're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It kind of like, yeah, for some reason it just, if you can build a momentum to it, there's something about it that can really keep you going. You know, it's just that it's, it's just understanding for me, it's understanding that I just cannot do that all of the time. Right. Like, like during COVID when things got really hard, I wrote like 300,000 words or something in like the whole entire year. And then, um, and then like I moved and then I was like working on some things and then I was like waking up at 4am and trying to write and then going to my office job and then like taking care of my child, like all of that. I, I could sustain it for a while, but then suddenly it just like stopped. Like I was like, I cannot do this. Anymore. Yeah. I cannot sustain it. And I'm unhappy about it. 
but like you just cannot be doing it 100% of the time all the time you know yeah. it's just like it's just typical like uh energy wise um but I guess yeah I guess part of that is to say that like in those moments when you when you are like oh I'm not writing right now and I just feel like I'm losing my identity as a writer and I'm feeling like it's going away from me like everyone has that fear the creativity has yeah. gone away I'm never gonna have another good idea again um those moments aren't all bad like as long as you can kind of like ride the wave of it and just say like no like writing is kind of like for life like you have to look at like yeah. the long game of it you know like you're you're gonna be you're always going to be writing. It's just that sometimes that energy ebbs and flows and like, like it's okay. You know, yeah. you will hit a point in time again mm -hmm. where you're going to wake up and then you're going to realize that you need to kick your ass and then you will kick your ass, you know, and then you will like, you will start doing it. It's like this play of being easier on yourself and not being too easy on yourself at the same time. Yeah. Not a good, not an a good answer maybe. no it's a great know. answer that's i'm like yeah. sitting there going and that's why you do mentorships because that's a great answer that's, oh, that's yeah. i mean that's just, that's exactly what people need to hear when they're trying to become writers yeah yeah i mean yeah that makes sense um maybe just what i tell myself <laughs> to, to get through the day right? I, we're all telling ourselves something yeah it's <laughs> l thank you so much for coming on the show Thank you for having me. This was such a good conversation. It went by really fast. I know, too fast. <laughs>
Listening to 92.9 FM KPCR LP Santa Cruz.